Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Homeschool High School Podcast from SevenSistersHomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. I'm your host, Sabrina Justison, and if you tune into the podcast regularly and you think I sound a little funky, well, that's because I sound a little funky. I'm trying to get over a sinus infection and bronchitis, so if I get all raspy and gravelly sounding, just... um go with it because there's not much I can do to fix my voice today. I am in the glamorous studios in the garage of my house for Seven Sisters and I am not with my usual co-host today. Normally you would hear me with Vicki Tillman and Kim Smythe, but today I have somebody different visiting with me and we're going to have some fun talking about a subject that we have never tackled before on the Homeschool High School podcast. So let me introduce you to today's co-host. This is my son, and his name is... Samuel White. And Sam is one of my many children, and he is currently 26 years old. You forgot how old I am? I temporarily forgot how old you were. (laughs) But you reminded me, so it's all good now. So my son, yes, my son, to whom I gave birth, is 26 years old. And he is a homeschool graduate. He was homeschooled K through 12 and lived to tell the tale. (laughs) So Sam has a kind of unusual skill set and area of passion. And we have actually mentioned him, I think, a couple of times in former podcasts where we talked about fine arts and helping your kids do career exploration that allows them to lean into areas of passion. So Sam's passion is film. Tell us a little bit about what you love about film and what that was like when you were a wee little homeschooled kid. What? Wow, that's a big subject. Um, you know, I'll try and keep it podcast length. <laughs> yeah, keep it especially, under two hours. Especially considering how much we have to get through. Um, yeah, I've, I can't really remember a time when uh, movies were not like, just a massive part of my life. My earliest memory is being in a theater and seeing this, seeing a woman appear on the screen when it first came up, just telling the audience to be quiet during the movie. And I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. I think I was like two. It's just, you'd never seen, you'd never seen somebody that big on that big a screen before. (laughs) And that genuinely is my earliest memory. Oh, but um, that was Pinocchio. We went to see Pinocchio when it was re-released. I don't remember theaters, seeing Pinocchio. Were... I remember that woman asking us to be quiet during the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, the big face appeared on the screen, and the finger went in front of the lips, and she said, "Shh, silence is golden." That and is right. You melted down. <laughs> but I was fine through the movie, right? Yeah, you were fine okay. through the movie. Yeah. Uh, no, but, um, I mean, I grew up watching so many movies because, I mean, I had parents who, who liked movies a lot and family movie nights were a big thing. But then I had um, grandparents on both sides who were huge movie buffs. And anytime we got together with them, anytime I had a, you know, stayed over at their house overnight, I mean, we would go through... We would watch, you know, double features usually of classic movies. Uh, my my grandfather on my mom's side was uh, pretty much addicted to TCM. Yes. Um, Turner Classic Movies, wonderful stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when I was um, 
six or seven, uh, I got a hold of a uh, kid's biography of Steven Spielberg. And that was kind of the first time I realized, oh, there's like people whose job it is to make these things. Mm. And that was so incredibly like, well, I, I would love that job. I was, you know, and so I spent uh, pretty much from from there on all of my youth uh, sort of pursuing that. And to be honest, I didn't really know. I never really learned much about the technical filmmaking process the actual operation of cameras, uh, lighting, editing, uh, all that until I got to college because at that point in time, um, the technology to make movies that looked professional uh, was really not available unless you were a professional, unless you went to an actual film school. But uh, after high school, when I finally decided to um, take some classes at uh, Cecil Cecil uh, Community College, or now it's Cecil College. Um, digital technology had advanced enough uh, that now really anybody could make a movie for relatively cheap, which was a beautiful, uh, beautiful thing. So, so let's talk about the the we tried as homeschoolers. We tried, and and to some extent we succeeded. To some extent we failed. But we we formed a cinematography club when you were a tween. We did indeed. I guess, and all through high school, you and quite a number of kids for a while there we were we were running a pretty good sized crew there there was sort of a core group of about uh four of us mm -hmm. um that were there through the whole thing and then we had other people that kind of came in came out tried it um but i think everybody who did it whether they decided to to keep doing it or not had a really positive experience i know the moms had a positive experience mm -hmm. too it was it was something that we knew nothing about we just mm -hmm. had kids who wanted to know something about it. And so um, this was, you know, this was quite a while ago. We're talking 12, 13, 14 years ago. A long time yeah. ago. Yeah. It's but, so um, weird to think about that. <laughs> we, we tried. We got a couple of video cameras because that's what people had then. Mm -hmm. And eventually we pooled money and did fundraisers and bought a Mac that would have some editing software mm -hmm. that could actually do something. So we, we tried, and mm -hmm. we tried to educate ourselves, but now it's it's a lot easier. So we're actually eventually going to do an episode that is devoted to helping homeschoolers who want to, <clears throat> to create movies um, and who have kids who want to learn how to really do this stuff. Some of the nuts and bolts of how you can actually do that, how you could put together... Um, classes in the technical pieces of filmmaking. And for today, we're not going to go there because as we started preparing our show notes, we realized that this would be a four-hour podcast if we put everything into one episode. So we're going to instead look at the more philosophical level, I guess, of, um, of film in learning, and particularly in homeschooling high school. And um, so... Let's let's kind of do a, a really philosophical, philosophical point here for our, okay. for our start, okay? So um, Sam and I have had many talks about this over the years, and he articulates it so much better than I do. Share a little bit about this idea of film. Is it entertainment, or is it something more, and how do you know, and why does it matter? Well, I mean, you ask... If you ask the average person, what is the purpose of movies and television, um, they would say it's for entertainment. And they would not be wrong. And entertainment is, I believe, 
something very important. I mean, throughout all of human history, there has always been something. There's been theater, there's been music, there's been some kind of performance uh, that people go to when they're not working to just unwind. Uh, and I think that that's something really important. We live in a we live in a difficult world, mm. um, and we all need something to help us just unwind and enjoy ourselves. And that helps, um, you know, bring our energy back up to go tackle real life stuff. So entertainment is not in and of itself a bad thing, or even no, a, no, no, a, no. an empty thing. It, it serves mm. a purpose. Okay, it, but going beyond serve, that, yeah, it. But the thing that you have to remember is that film is, uh, I mean, I think it's always been, but certainly today, I mean, it is an art form. It's not just some generic thing that's cranked out to appeal to the masses. It, uh, to be a filmmaker, it takes the same kind of passion and skill level that it takes to be a great painter, uh, a great writer, either of, of, the, of, um, of stage plays or of... Uh, novels um and that's i think the thing that people miss the most and art has um in addition to entertaining the people who watch it or read it or whatever it has other purposes that are even more important art has the ability to make us think be it about spiritual issues social issues political issues uh psychological issues it has the ability to, um, uh, sorry, I'm getting a little tongue-tied. It's so difficult to say. Let me, let me uh, go back just for a second and stuff. Sure. Uh, in fact, let me, let me use a couple examples. In the 1960s, we had the civil rights movement going on. And, of course, the biggest pieces of the civil rights movement were uh, the speeches and the ideas and the actions of people like Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. um, but in the cinema, you were seeing movies like To Kill a Mockingbird. You were seeing movies like The Defiant Ones. You were seeing movies like In the Heat of the Night that brought those issues of black and white right to the forefront. People couldn't look away. And you were going to see, if you went to see In the Heat of the Night, which was 1967, I believe, um, you were seeing uh, a sort of slightly standard but very well-told murder mystery take place. Okay. But the detectives were a racist, as racist can be, white uh, police detective in the South and a black detective from, uh, I think it was Philadelphia, uh, was where he came from. And they have to team up to solve this mystery. Forced to work together Forced to in work spite together. of the bigotry. And uh, it wasn't even, it's not even one of those movies where you go, by the end, they're best friends. The, the bigotry doesn't even entirely go away throughout the story. Mm. But audiences watching it at that time in history just sort of had, they were forced to think about the culture in which they lived that was, uh, that was oppressing uh, a people group simply because of the color of their skin. Right. So... You can say it's just entertainment, but it did so much more to that. It forced a culture who wouldn't have gone to a rally or a march, who might have turned off the news or whatever. They go to the cinema to be entertained, but in the process they are forced to think to be about... Challenged. To be challenged, yeah. Right. Um, and it applies to all other issues. You have um, 
movies like Schindler's List and The Pianist that tell stories of the Holocaust and they make it vibrantly real. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're even though they're based on true stories, they are just movies. Right. They're not documentary they're not treatments of these. Yeah. No. Okay. So let's use, that's a really mm-hmm. natural segue to mm-hmm. let's one area of homeschooling in high school that I think a lot of people think of film as, as being a worthwhile supplemental resource is history because there are so many historically based films. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have talked on frequent episodes of the podcast about different ways to earn credits and how for some of your subjects you are going to be logging mm-hmm. hours and you're going to be building a Carnegie unit um, to, to put that credit on your high school transcript. So sometimes we think, as homeschool moms, we think of using movies to sort of flesh out the mm-hmm. the learning that we're doing. Um, and that's great. And those hours count. And they if you're choosing movies well and wisely, that can really give your your students a chance to um, experience to some degree a time period and a historical setting um, that they would not necessarily engage with in the same way if they were just reading about it. But there's there's an additional level to using film for history learning that you and I have talked about. So share a little bit of your ideas on um, historical films and looking at accuracy and... Well, I would... Um... I would be the first to say that there is no movie that is a substitute for an actual history book. Um, but the, in the same way, I, I again, I love to speak through examples. Um, a sermon at a church is no substitute for the actual scriptures. Right. But uh, the sermon helps you interpret the scriptures and And sometimes you may have problems with a particular preacher's sermon you think maybe they're misinterpreting stuff but hearing it um encourages you to go to the source and study it for yourself and good point and uh figure those things out for yourself um it's the same reason that it's good to watch uh multiple uh news channels to get different perspectives to understand So I would put movies in that category. Um, <clears throat> I'm I'm going to be speaking through examples through this whole podcast probably because I just do the analogy <laughs> thing best. That's what you do. I get it. That's all good. I get it from my mom. Yeah, um, you come by it honestly. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, for some reason, and I don't know why, there is not a lot of movies about uh, the Revolutionary War period. I'm mm-hmm. not sure why it's a fascinating period. For some reason, it has not been documented on cinema that much. Probably the most famous one, and the one that will at least portray the uh, actual war side, the actual battlefield experience, is The Patriot. Now, that movie is kind of hit and miss when it comes to uh, historical accuracy. But you ha- that in and of itself, even though it's not historically accurate from beginning to end, gives you a wonderful opportunity to study the period, to study... Uh, the battles, battles like Yorktown, and then to watch The Patriot in a class setting, and then to have the kids analyze what is Hollywood fiction mm. and what is actual history, and why have they made the changes. Ooh, that sounds like critical thinking skills mm-hmm. to me, which is something we which, talk about here all the time. And why they've made the changes even gives you some insight into social issues yes. of the way in which perhaps Americans like to view history versus 
the way it actually was, etc., etc., etc. And that's, I, I think, I, I think especially in terms of, of history, it has uh, watching movies and comparing them to actual history. I think that's one of the best ways to do it, because kids are much quicker to be like, "Let me watch a movie," and if you sort of put that out there as almost their reward. Right. Study this for two weeks, two, three weeks. Right. Give this some attention so that you're prepared to watch this movie <clears throat> intelligently. Mm-hmm. And then watching the movie will indeed mm-hmm. be a part of your uh, mm-hmm. your academic stuff here. Yeah. yeah. And again, the movie is never a substitute for the actual history books. And I, I mean, history was, gosh, it, it was one of my favorite subjects in school. And it's still, I guess, one of my favorite subjects in life. I love to study history. Um... And the, but I, I, I remember being in school and I mean, I did it with the Patriot. I did it with, um, Gladiator, Spartacus, mm. uh, Cleopatra, uh, all these movies, um, that experience of comparing, uh, a film's interpretation of history versus what we actually have documented. Right. I mean, because it's not just that you had to memorize something out of a book, you had to engage your brain. Right. You had to work. But you wanted to work because the experience of watching a good movie was so exciting. Right. So pleasurable. So it pushed you. It made you want to learn more. And that that is something that, I mean, you know this because you're my kid, and so you've heard me talk about this again and again, but that's something that we want to keep bringing back to our friends through the podcast the importance of challenging your teenagers not to just absorb information, but to learn to think. And I loved the, uh, the example that you pulled in of, of watching news from multiple sources so that you're getting perspectives on things. This is true of, of anything in life going forward. And if our teens are not being challenged to expose themselves to differing perspectives and then to filter out, okay, I'm hearing this, but I know for a fact that some of that isn't even on point. It's not even accurate. So I'm going to pull that layer off as opinion or as something that's gotten twisted um, because of whatever. But it's, it's, it's equipping adults who are going to be shaping our culture and our society going forward. It's equipping them as teenagers to learn to understand perspective to respect it, but not to be fooled by um, mm-hmm. a, a particular take on something, and to instead engage those brain cells that God gave them for, for filtering that out and for discerning truth from error. Well, and if I can interject a quick thought in there, mm-hmm. um, as I said, film is an art form, but it's one of the most expensive art forms out there. It costs a lot to make a movie, uh, especially in Hollywood, and um, Anyone who has worked in the industry will tell you that uh, the god of Hollywood, if you will, is money. Mm. And when you watch a movie or a TV show, you are telling Hollywood, I want to see more of this. And so by teaching kids to be discerning film watchers, for whatever the reason is, whether it's for educational purposes or otherwise... Um, whenever you watch something, you tell the industry, I want to see more of that. So by training kids from a young age to be discerning of what they watch, to break it down and to analyze it, they're going to get a better sense of what we really should 
see more of mm. in the media. And I, I think that's an important thing, especially as uh, Christians, uh, you know, uh, it's important to sort of send that message of we want to see more of this. Right. We want to see more of these ideals, these morals. Um, we want to see this particular subject discussed more, mm -hmm. even if it's not from a specific mm -hmm. uh, viewpoint. So I think that that would be uh, equally as important. If you have certain politics that you're passionate about, um, look for and analyze the movies that support that and talk them up. Mm -hmm. Watch them, spread the word to your friends and stuff. So. Right, right, very good. Um, so let's talk concretely because many of the folks who tune into the podcast are logging hours and creating transcripts and they're framing out their four-year goals and their one-year goals for high school. So a sort of obvious tie-in is, is historical movies. Um, I am a big fan of using movies to help literature learning, especially for struggling readers. Mm -hmm. And actually at Seven Sisters, we're going to have a new series of literature study guides. There's one available now. Um, this is being recorded in the winter of 2017. But there's, there's one available now that goes with the George C. Scott version of A Christmas Carol. And there's going to be a whole year's worth that will be in the, the e-book store by the end of the summer. And we're calling them Cinema Studies for Literature Learning. And the idea is to take movies that do an excellent job of telling a story using solid literary elements, the same things that we would pull out in a literature study guide for a student who's reading Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, can then be used for a good film adaptation of A Tale of Two Cities. The point being that filmmaking is usually storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. And if it's good storytelling, then it's going to have all the elements of good storytelling, whether it's on paper or whether it's been brought to life on the screen. And especially for kids who struggle with dyslexia, who have various kinds of um, reading issues that make taking the printed page and using that as their springboard for thinking and for analyzing, um, using really well-told stories on the screen can be a really powerful tool for turning on those critical thinking skills and the inferential part of the brain that they need to be using in high school. So look for those, shameless plug, um, coming to the <laughs> sevensistershomeschool.com ebook store, Cinema Studies for Literature Learning. Mm -hmm. And I've been teaching this class in our local community this year to a group of high schoolers, homeschoolers. And um, we have been having so much fun. And this week my kids are working through the um, 1960, oh dear, I forget, First Miracle Worker, 1962, two? I think? I think two. Yeah, with um, Patty Duke and Anne Bancroft, just, oh, stellar, stellar, and a lovely example of three-act structure, which is a script-writing thing that we will probably do a podcast on someday, probably. because Sam is also um, fascinated with good script-writing and with helping teens learn to do that. So, okay, we've got using um, film as a supplemental resource for history. We've got using film for literature learning, especially for struggling readers. What are some of the other places that you see film plugging into high school education, Sam? Um, well, I think it can be applied to uh, science. Um, even when we're talking about things like science fiction. Um, 
okay. This is a little out of the box, but we like out of the box. This is a so little out of the box. And I, again, I, I would go back to what I said before of it's never a substitute for studying an actual textbook. <laughs> I'm just picturing kids like, hey, mom, instead of doing chemistry this year, let's just watch a bunch of movies. <laughs> yeah. That's probably not going to yeah, cut so. it. Um, <laughs> but here's, here's a very clear example. Um, you take one of the... Uh, most financially successful movies of all time, Jurassic Park, um, which is, from a scientific standpoint, absolute hogwash. <laughs> um, it's even wait, you mean it didn't really happen? Yeah, no. Even the writers of the movie kind of acknowledged <coughs> they Hard they took, but what they did is they took actual science, the idea of genetic cloning. And they applied it to this fictional concept of what if we could clone uh, an extinct species, if we could get a hold of, of DNA and stuff. And that piece is entirely fictional. But the movie deals with the ethics of, uh, of cloning itself, which is a real issue. Right. And it brings it right to the forefront. And that creates a great discussion for kids of ethics within the scientific community. Right. Um, just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should Ooh. do it. Um, and even then, on a smaller level, breaking down what is the real science that they use within the story and, and what is science just, fiction. Uh -huh. um, again, things like that. A few Good. years ago, we had uh, the movie Interstellar, which is most definitely science fiction. It has... Um, you know, there's all kinds of just movie magic thrown in there. But they worked with real phys uh, physicists. I've always had trouble with that word. <laughs> physicists. Um, to examine what would the th Einstein's theory of relativity actually look like were it put into practice. If you had somebody, uh, you know, moving faster than the speed of light, how okay. they would cease to age or appear to cease to age while other people would continue okay. to age. And it is a piece of science fiction. Again, it's it's no substitute for the real thing. But it raises but some very interesting conversations. It raises conversation. If you also look at the science attached to it. And it gets the viewer interested in the science. Right. They leave the movie and go home and start saying, I wonder how much of that is legitimate. Mm -hmm. And it gets them interested in subjects that otherwise they might not be interested in. Right. So it has uh, applications within... Uh, within uh, science as well. And then, you know, we all study art, we study paintings, we study all of this. Or we all should, if, if you are not doing much with the arts in high school because you're too busy doing math mm -hmm. and doing science and reading mm -hmm. a zillion books mm -hmm. and being really, yeah, you're probably not giving yourself the space that the arts mm -hmm. need because God created us to experience creation. So anyway, that was my, sorry, heavy duty no, plug okay. for the arts are so important, yeah. especially for our teens. Um, no, but I was just throwing there, film is a visual art form right. in the same way. There's a lot of directors, directors like Akira Kurosawa, who's considered you know one of the top 10 greatest directors of all time, came from painting. John Ford had uh, an interest and a background in painting. It is all about composition, color, framing, 
uh, perspective. Now, all okay, that now stuff. a lot of us, because I'm one of these people, and if, if I were not your mother and hadn't had to listen to you as you got excited learning about this <laughs> stuff, I wouldn't. I didn't notice that stuff when I watched movies. I am a word nerd. I'm all about the story and the dialogue, and I'm fascinated with that. And a lot of the other stuff would sort of just wash mm. past me. Now, I've been having a field day um, because you have been creating and offering for the first time your introduction to filmmaking classes for homeschoolers in our local area. And um, as you're doing that, I'm, I've been sort of from a distance. I've been looking over your shoulders. You create lesson plans and, and all of this stuff about light and all of this stuff about color and all these examples that you've been showing your students in class that I've gotten to then watch too just blows me away and and it makes me realize I'm not a visual artist and so anything with painting that I ever appreciated in the past it was because I had a teacher who understood so much more than I did who would say wait 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 notice this look at this did you see this there's this do you see it? you know drawing my attention to it and the same is true in film and I never would have thought about the visual art piece of it had you not talked to me about that so Throw, throw a little bit out there for folks who are not aware of any of this when they watch a movie. How can they help their teens um, become more aware of the art medium that is film? Uh, how can parents... I, I don't know. You would have to have some... In the, you were talking about you had a teacher that kind of demonstrated mm -hmm. it for you. Um, if you're a parent trying to impart that onto your teen, you will need to educate yourself. Ah, there we go. First mm -hmm. and foremost. Lifelong um, learning, ladies and gentlemen. Lifelong learning. Um, the interesting thing about... Well, I, I guess it, it would be true of any art form of... I mean, you mentioned you were never aware of mm -hmm. this until and that until I started to point mm -hmm. it out. Um, that kind of means a director is doing his job. Because when you're watching the movie, you're supposed to just be immersed in it. When you look at... You, it's so cliche... But if you look at the Sistine Chapel, mm -hmm. the ribbon stuff, you're not meant to immediately go, oh, look at the way he designed this right. and that. You're meant to just be in awe of it, right. be inspired by it. Um, Michelangelo uh, would probably be annoyed if the moment somebody came in there and looked up at it, started immediately analyzing instead of just appreciating <laughs> it. Um, <clears throat> like walking into the Sistine Chapel mm -hmm. and going, oh, you missed a spot. Like, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Just not appropriate. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, sorry, um, that was mom funny. Our kids always <laughs> tell us there's there's funny and then there's mom funny. Absolutely. And I don't have my other moms here with me today to <laughs> laugh at my mom funny. So no. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Okay, so sorry. You're saying the director does his yeah. job if you don't If break you it don't down immediately anything. notice it. So if you want to teach that to your kids, you're going to have to educate yourself first. And there are... Again, a lot of great avenues to do it. There are great books. There are lots of great um, online blogs about mm -hmm. this stuff. Um, there's lots of great film critics. I mean, I, I say that with a degree of intrepidation because um, in this day and age with, with the fact that anybody can get online and write a blog or make a video right. and say they're a film critic... Uh, so you, we're back to critical of, thinking <clears throat> skills again. We're back to critical thinking. Use discernment. But there, there are critics. I mean, one of my favorites is uh, Mark Kermode. He's a British film critic. He he works on uh, on British radio and stuff, and he has a PhD in literature and film studies. I mean, the man is smart as anything, 
And you, I and t- no, we're not affiliates. We just we are not affiliates. Stuff is really stuff. smart. But his stuff is, re- and that's the thing is, when he reviews a film, he does not say, "I liked this. I liked that. That special effect was cool." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this this actor or this actress was really good looking. You right. know, he actually knows how to break it down to say, "This is why it's a good movie," or "This is why it's a bad movie." Mm-hmm. Um, so it comes down to to educating your uh, yourself. Um, so this may be a great <laughs> arena for. Uh, parents and teens to learn something together and for it to be, um, how do I want to say this? I'm sure that some of you live in that perfect high school, homeschool world where every morning your teen arises from bed um, with a smile on his or her face with math book in hand saying, mother, mother, when may we start our day of learning? And if you live there, good for you. But we didn't spend a lot of time there. Most people we were don't. Most high school. people don't. And there can be a lot of areas where um, the learning during the high school years can create a little bit of friction and tension. And um, that doesn't mean that anyone is being a bad parent or anyone who is being a bad child. It's just a part of the process as as your teens get closer to graduation. So when you have something like this um, and you say to your teen, how about we look into this together and see what we can do with it? And let's both learn something here. It can be a great leveler, and the playing field can be a whole lot more fair for that mm-hmm. little section of time. And you may just find that you end up creating a whole you know, quarter credit or a half credit mm-hmm. or a full credit out of, out of learning that you end up doing side by side with your teen. So um, actually, there was a little bit of that for Sam and me in high school. Mm-hmm. We were not typically ones who butted heads a lot, but it was really fun for me when he was 14 or 15 years old to be able to say, I'm sorry, I don't even know what you're talking about. Explain that to me. And him get to be the teacher and get to school mom on something that I really, truly had never learned about before. Mm. So lifelong learning, go for it. We're going to wrap this up because we have been talking about film for quite a while. And we are planning to, in the near future, do another episode where we give you some nuts and bolts of how to actually help your teen who would like to make a movie learn how to do that and learn some really, truly important stuff going forward. Um, And we hope that for today, this has been a fun way to maybe think a little bit out of the box and to move beyond just logging some supplemental hours with movies, but to instead recognize the power of film and uh, recognize the art form that is film. And most importantly, recognize the thinking that your team could be doing with exposure to good film and with some coaching on how to watch it for more than just that surface entertainment. So Sam, thank you for being with me. Thank you for letting me do this. And to all of you who listened today, thanks for being here. If you liked what you heard and you would be so kind as to pop over to iTunes, you could give us a little review or you could give us some stars. And when you do that, it's not just that you're making us feel better about ourselves. You are also helping other homeschool families with high schoolers find our podcast and find some encouragement and some tools that will strengthen their at home learning during the high school years. So we look forward to our next episode with you. And I plan to be reunited with my co-hosts again uh, for the next time that we bring homeschool high school information to you on the Homeschool High School podcast from sevensistershomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. 